founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Ron Callis, co-founder and CEO of One Firefly. One Firefly is an award-winning marketing and design agency that has been bringing solutions to technology professionals for over 11 years. Ron founded One Firefly in September of 2007 with the vision to provide system design and documentation services to clients wherever they're at. He graduated in 2000 with a degree in mechanical engineering from Virginia Tech and immediately entered the sales field. Ron worked for Lutron Electronics post-graduation and then moved on to be the regional manager for Crestron Electronics before cooking up one Firefly. Ron currently serves as, as an advisory board member to Azion Unlimited, in addition to being the CEO to one Firefly. And today we are pumped to have you on the podcast, Ron. I am excited to be here, Drew. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. All right, let's let's start how we always start for the audience. What were the series of events that led you to starting One Firefly? Sure. I had uh, graduated and just by a random chance of fate, kind of got plucked out of college uh, and entered into the what's known as the custom integration marketplace. Okay. I imagine many of your listeners may have never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, but you could think of, uh, you know, in James Bond, when you see the mad, uh, you know, I'm going to say the, whoever, uh, James Bond's uh, nemesis in the, whatever episode, and you see them push a button and motorized things happen in the room. Uh huh. That's some of the magic that my industry deploys. Now it's used for good, not evil. And it's, <laughs> it's used to deploy home theaters, and motorized lighting and shading and music systems and hidden technology, high performance audio. And then there's a commercial equivalent, you know, think of in the boardroom, you plug your computer in, or maybe now you actually airplay your computer up to a screen and you give a presentation and all of the audio and video requirements. That industry is the industry that I've spent the last uh, 20 years in. Wow. And you know, I, I did seven years on the manufacturing side and then, you know, I had this fire burning in my belly to, to get out and, and work for myself. And I identified what I thought was a need from the customer. So I've always served the same customer, actually, these small businesses that design, install and service these technology systems. Okay. And I had identified that they needed uh, what I thought was help with engineering. I was an engineering graduate. I thought I knew a thing or two about engineering. And so I started what was called Firefly Design Group in 2007 to act as a engineering firm for these companies. Mm. Uh, they're throughout the world, but I was primarily focused on the U.S., and uh, a very long story, you know, 14-year saga made very short. We pivoted uh, many times along the way. Very early on, learned that we needed to aid our customers' ability to present all of these beautiful engineering capabilities that we were offering them. So thus, we added marketing capabilities. Okay. 
And along the way, we realized that the marketing side of the business was actually the higher performing, more scalable side of the business. And meanwhile, the engineering and programming side of the business was always very, very hard. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, perhaps if I'm looking in the mirror a bit more stubborn than I should have been. And I relinquished the engineering and programming later than I should. But ultimately, I did. I made that pivot in 15. And uh, the rest is history. We're, we've we've grown into the position of market leader for providing marketing to uh, the custom integration space uh, throughout North America. Wow, well, it's it's so interesting. It makes me think of uh, there's a talk I heard Henry Cloud give. Have you ever heard of Dr. Henry Cloud? No. He wrote a book called Boundaries, and then like a million spinoffs. You know, boundaries for kids, dogs, whatever. Um, but. Uh, one of the things he did was he worked with a lot of CEOs and executives, I think as a psychologist, potentially. And he said one of the things that he found most common uh, was that CEOs had a hard time with what he called necessary endings, where a product that maybe was their first product is no longer needed anymore or a project they really feel connected with. And he said they just had a hard time letting go of that, even though it was a necessary ending. Uh, And it sounds similar to yours. What? Did you experience that as well? You know what? I fortunately in 2013, so if I'm looking on a calendar, it's probably five or six years into my entrepreneurial journey. I, uh, I had an epiphany that, that I needed to bring additional operational and financial management into the company. And so I, I went out, I did a, a full top grading process. It took me about six months, interviewed 52 different candidates personally. Wow. And ultimately brought someone into my business that I thought was a great cultural fit and had the right set of skills to really balance some of my sales and marketing skills. And that person, uh, his name's Taylor Whipple, uh, instrumental member of our team. And he is still with us today. And he through analysis really helped me see um, the performance side of the business, you know, understanding the financials, understanding um, not what do I feel is working, but what's actually working. Right, what, right. what do the numbers say is working? Yeah. And, uh, and it just, you know, there was a side, a piece of our business, which you know we call marketing that was, Fun, scalable, easy to hire, easy to sell, recurring revenue. But it was always considered just this little thing we did that didn't get my undivided attention because we were an engineering firm. Yeah. And meanwhile, the engineering firm was hard, hard to hire, hard to sell, (laughs) hard to repeat. Uh, You know, it was just hard, hard, hard. (laughs) And, uh, And finally, in 2015, I mean, we had the, the engineering business always, we did, we did really good work, very proud of what we did. So we did some flagship projects actually around the world. Um, but it, it never grew, it never scaled. It was not scalable. And in fact, a good example is there's been no scaled version since I ended that business in our industry. So wow. there's no one that's come in behind and said, well, Firefly design groups out, we're coming in and we're going to do this. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's just, it was a, frankly, a bad idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, the the programming side, or not the the, the same with programming, um, but then the marketing was the little engine that could. And what we realized when we actually cut all the other dead weight and focused all of our team's energies 
on being the best marketing agency for this channel and squarely focusing on the customer and their needs and helping solve their problems that the the rest is history we've grown mm. consistently you know 35% year over year 5 years in a row now um you know we applied and made the inc 5000 last year that was a neat testament to our team's you know um really winning with this strategy yeah um you know we we hope to apply again and be recognized in a similar way this year and it's just it's really a testament to focus and and understanding you know, the money side of your business, the financial side of your business, um, you know, what is gross margin within product segments or product categories? What are net profitability goals? What's the strategy to how to actually get there? If you have these crazy ideas, I know that I had many along the way. We'll call them shiny objects. Yeah, actually let's go. <laughs> unmodeling and cash flow forecasting around those ideas before you just jump in and do them. And the more of that slowing down the speed up that I do, the faster we go, the bigger we get, the more fun it gets. Let's go. Well, a few things you mentioned that I think are really profound. So one is that idea of your team's energy and resources being able to concentrate on marketing after you got rid of the other stuff. And it might have been Henry Cloud and that same thing was talking about pruning that like you don't just get rid of dead branches. Sometimes you're actually getting rid of healthy branches so that all the resources of that plant are going to only a few branches instead of multiple ones. And so you get a bigger harvest, a more robust fruit or grape or whatever it is. And that's how it sounds like with your business too. It's like, it wasn't that it wasn't working. It just wasn't quite as profitable or as the, as the others, the marketing side. And so you were able to take all those resources and channel it there. Yeah, the marketing, but, but it's important to note the marketing piece of the business was small and so it was still a bit of a gamble to say, we're going to cut these other things because these mm. other things were in revenue much greater. Mm. And, but I mean, in full transparency, and I'm sure there are some entrepreneurs listening, you know, we made some terrible rookie mistakes in 2015. I didn't understand the importance of, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. I guess I'll put it that way around payroll taxes and meanwhile, the business was hurting in certain areas. And so we were making sure we paid everyone, but not paying our payroll taxes to the federal government on time. And we reached a dire set of uh, consequences in the 2015 and it was come to Jesus. Whew. And I, I determined that I was not going to look good in orange. And so <laughs> I, it was, but I didn't want to quit. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I was too stubborn to quit. And it's like, well, all right, I know it's bad and I know we're not in a great situation, but it's like Bobby Fisher said on a, on a, in a chess match, there's always a next best move. Mm -hmm. So given this set of circumstances, what's the next best move? Mm. And that was cutting business units that were large, cutting staff that were in those business units, streamlining our operational expenses putting a strategy together to get our debt that was owed to the IRS for payroll taxes in place, which we happily yeah. paid promptly. And, um, and we have, we purchased a bunch of lessons. I say that with everything that I, every mistake I make that cost me money, I purchased another lesson. There you go. And now we know as we grow, we front load sales and marketing. And with that demand, we build operational capacity. 
Mm. I don't do it in reverse. Mm. I don't build operational capacity and hope sales will come. Smart. And that means that if sales were to recede, it means we would cut operational capacity. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And I'm happy to say we haven't had to do that in many years, but it's a, really a mindset to know that the business has to be strong and stable, which means mm. the, the gross margins have to be at target. Net profitability has to be at target. And if we aren't, then either the income side of the business needs to be modified. That's in maybe product pricing, maybe mm. sales and marketing strategies, or that's in operational expenses. You know, maybe we need to find a way to do something uh, more inexpensively, or we need to cut costs, or we need to refine scope so that we can perform that particular service in a way that allows us to remain profitable. And that is that is best for our people. That's mm. best for our customers. Because I want to be here for many years to serve my my customers. And if I'm yeah. not running a strong business, well, that's my fault. Yeah. And I, I think really over this 14-year journey, you know, my leadership team and I have learned to run a better and better, stronger and stronger business. Man, it sounds like it. I mean, again, we've done 45 of these interviews. And just in hearing you talk about the business and the different lenses you're thinking through, there's some serious business IQ there. Right, like you said, you you've I think you've naturally got a lot, and I think you also sounds like you've you've been buying lessons, right? I've you've been buying, buying them every step of the way. You know, I'm I'm the kid that when he learned how to ride a bike, I got a lot of skin knees. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're doing backflips on the BMX track. Right, but right? now I can go to the BMX track and I can hang out and, and represent. So that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm curious. This is a little bit of a side note, but as an engineer with an engineering background, starting an engineering company. Did you just learn marketing along the way or was that something you were also passionate about for a while and had kind of interest and knowledge in? No, I, this started as a, a youth. I'm just, you know, I was born that way, I guess in that Lady Gaga, uh, Lady Gaga. I loved Lady Gaga, by the way. Yeah. But uh, you know, I was born that way and that I was the engineer, but I was the engineer that loves sales and marketing. Mm. So, you know, I expressed myself as a kid in, in science fair competitions uh, I was so proud. I actually learned my sixth grader, Maximus, uh, just announced today he's in the sixth grade. He won the school engineering category he, against the upperclassmen. So let's he, go, Maximus. Well done. He competed against the high school kids and won. Now, when he won, did he look out at everybody and say, are you not entertained? Are, I don't know, but I'm going to give him that line next time. Come on. He's, he's built for that line. He, he is, um, you know, so, it, but when you look at science and it sounds silly, but when you look at science competitions, you have to, you can have great science, but you have to sell that science yeah. to the judges. And yeah. I just, I got, I don't know. I, I loved that as a kid, middle school through high school and into college, I did various types of competitions so that when I got interviewed out of college, uh, by Lutron Electronics. And I loved their interview process. It was so in-depth and they cared so much clearly about the people they were bringing into the company. It just, it, it really fascinated me. And I've carried that into a lot of my methods here at One Firefly around hiring. But uh, that aside, they ultimately offered me a job both in the engineering department. Mm -hmm. They said, we'll bring you on as an engineer. We, we love the way you think. And they said, we'll also bring you on to our sales department, a completely separate track. Wow. And they said, we don't do this often, but we feel that you're ready for both. And I said, which one makes more money? <laughs> and they said, well, 
probably in the short-term engineering, but in the long-term sales, if you're good. I said, well, I'll take sales. And, uh, and that's where I just, by the random chance of fate, landed in this industry. And it's, it's meant to be, because at the end of the day, you want to be in a marketplace. Entrepreneurs are listening to this. And ideally, you want to be in a marketplace where there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Yeah. You don't want to be in a dying industry. You want to be in a growing industry. Yeah. And, you know, I felt then what I feel today, perhaps I feel it stronger today, that there'll be more technology in our lives tomorrow than there is today. And I felt that 20 years ago. There'll be more technology in our homes and in our offices tomorrow than there is today. Yeah. So when you, I've decided to stay in that industry and simply become by default an expert. Stick around long enough and you focus on something, you become the expert that people look to. Yeah. And now I'm the marketing expert in this niche space. And so, you know, riches are in the niches. Tremendous amount of value in being the expert in a space that if someone is going to business school and looking at the space they're going to enter, no one's going to choose to enter my space. Mm, mm. (laughs) They haven't even heard of it probably. Yeah. Right. So I don't have the big marketing agencies looking at coming into my niche boutique industry. And so it allows me, it has allowed me an opportunity to really blossom and, and grow a thriving agency. And I think there's an infinite number of other verticals and spaces for somebody to do something similar to what I'm describing. Mm. But there's just a lot of, of value in just staying, just patience, staying the course, becoming a part of the space, be valuable to people, offer yeah. help, guidance, and assistance. And in time, you know, you become the go-to expert. Yeah, man. I love that. I mean, much of what you say resonates deeply with us. You know, we heard Seth Godin talking about the same idea. You know, all the smart people seem to talk about, man, niche down until you're uncomfortable, right? And we did that this year, especially in the pandemic. Our instinct was to go wide because you're afraid. But my business partner and I pulled each other aside and we're like, listen, we got to deny that instinct. We need to go narrower. We need to be more specific on who we're serving, how we're serving them, all that kind of stuff. And it paid off dividends. Um, But it can be scary. And especially if someone's entering in for the first time and they're not that industry expert yet. What did you do in those first few years to survive? You you know what? I've heard this adage and I I, I think I was too young and dumb to to listen when I was a kid out of school. But I can tell you the, the advice is sage and I now give it often, which is enter a space and do whatever you need to do, which is maybe take less salary, take less money. It's not about your income if you're just getting started in a space. It's yeah. about the experience and the network you're building. Mm. That is everything. Mm. And so it's just really practicing patience, practicing <sighs> patience and practicing excellence. Being in that space, you know, when I worked for Crestron and I worked for Lutron, I was learning my craft. I was learning the industry. I was learning yeah. about the pains of these small businesses. And I was developing personal relationships with, I mean, at this point, I have thousands of relationships across the world in my industry. You know, if in many markets, if someone says Ron Callis or One Firefly, they might, in my industry, my little bubble, they know who that is. Yeah. And that's just because of patience and dedication. I've been going to those trade shows for 20 years. Mm. I've been teaching webinars 
or, you know, I now do a podcast. I've been doing a podcast for four years. I'm not yeah. sure anyone listened for the first two years. Yeah. But I just did it because there's just magic and consistency and focus. Yeah. Man, talk about that for a second. I'd love to hear what is the what is the podcast? What is it about? And who's it for? Sure. So my my universe is serving <clears throat> my universe is serving these these custom integrators residential or commercial typically these are small businesses i'll say small businesses typically 50 million dollars or less in revenue okay and you know all sides of these entrepreneurs running these businesses from the the, the leaders running these businesses to uh, the the consultants serving within this space to the manufacturers and the reps and the distributors that serve this space I bring these people into my show. It's called Automation Unplugged. Cool. Um, you know, anyone can find that in their podcast app. And I do a show a week. And I, I very similar to what you're doing here with me. Yeah. I just, I want to learn about them. What makes them tick? Yeah. And uh, I think everybody has a different story. Those stories are interesting um, to some. And so I use my medium, which is my podcast, uh, as a way for our industry, just to learn about all the cool people that make up the space. Love it. Yeah. Very similar. I'm curious. Yeah. It's diving more into what makes you tick as we go back into those early years when you're scratching and clawing and you're doing stuff that the ROI is not there yet. Right. And, um, what kept you going? What kept you persevering? You know, it goes back to my years as a wrestler and this maybe is just part masochist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 180 pounds now. I'm five foot eight. Only a wrestler would talk about his weight so openly. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I was five foot eight and I wrestled 103, 112 and 119. Right? Wow. Through high school. Wow. And I was lean and mean. And I was a captain of my, my wrestling team. And I was, uh, and by the way, this is not health advice. And if parents are listening, please don't let your kid do what I'm about to describe. But I cut more weight than anyone else on my team. So no one could tell me they hurt more than I did. Mm. I didn't want any excuses. Mm. And I just, I've never, I've had an ability to, to think that way. It, by the way, it's mostly to a fault. It's not always healthy to think to that extreme because sure. I now know you don't have to suffer to succeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I didn't have coaches or mentors around me. I was the first person in my family to go to college. I didn't have any mentors in entrepreneurship around me wow. until post-college. You know, I didn't learn how to play chess until my freshman year of college. Uh, I Now my son, he learned chess at the age of three. So he won't have to go through what I went through. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really a, a matter of, of just sticking to it. But, and here's the lesson, learning that you're not always right. Mm. Also. And I was far more stubborn than I needed to be. Uh, and there's a lot of value in not doing purely what you think you should do. Mm. This maybe is the anti-advice from your other guests. I don't know. <laughs> but being brave enough to ask others what they think you're best at. Yeah. You know, it's the concept of the 360 review. That's Sometimes right. you're blinded as to where your strengths, where your superpowers are. And you get to find those superpowers out if you actually ask others about how they view you. And if you can operate within those strengths, <clears throat> I, I, when I started 
fire. I keep mentioning Firefly Design Group. That was the entity I formed in 07. I later in 2012 formed one Firefly as I gained a business partner. So there was cash put in. I brought in, I rolled in Firefly Design Group and a new entity was formed. But the original entity, uh, the S Corp was Firefly Design Group. And that, that S Corp uh, was formed to provide engineering services. And I had actually, this is maybe a mistake. This again, this is one of those uh, falling off the bike and skinning your knee. <laughs> I cashed out my retirement. I did a friends and family round of financing. And I, I put together, you know, around maybe a total of 80 grand between mm -hmm. my own money and some outside money to, to fund me getting started. And nowhere along the way did I actually stop and ask my future customers if they wanted the engineering services <laughs> that I was about to start offering and if they were what they were willing to pay for them. Yes. I never did that. <laughs> I just jumped off the cliff, had the parachute in my hand and I said, no, I'm not worried. It'll open. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way that I mentioned, I did this in this November of 2007, right before the 2008 financial crisis. Oh no. I timed it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for maximum pain. That's right. And yet I always made payroll. Wow. I never did not make payroll. I had an offer from, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. One of my first customers out of Seattle, I was, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. This company was threatening to hire me for some services. And they said, but Ron, we like you. We like the thing that you're talking about, but I'm sorry, we don't do business with anyone that we haven't met face to face. This was a Monday. Hmm. I said, so what you're saying is if we were face to face, we would do business. And they're like, yeah. I said, what are you doing Wednesday? They're like, we're in the office. I was like, what time are you available to meet? <laughs> Ron, aren't you in Fort Lauderdale? I was like, yeah, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. No big deal. I'll be there Wednesday. When can we meet? Let's go. Like, let's meet 10 a.m. Done. Uh, I'll, and and after that meeting, if everything I've said is true, you're going to hire me, right? They're like, yeah, I think probably. I was like, all right, I'll see you. <laughs> so the story gets better. So I get on an airplane, I book an airplane ticket. I'm flying across the country and over Kansas the windshield of the cockpit breaks. The plane does an automatic ascent from 40,000 feet to 10,000 feet in a matter of what? two minutes. Everyone on the plane is screaming. We all think we're going to die. <laughs> the plane now is depressurized, is can't land, has to fly back to Florida at 10,000 feet at half speed. Oh, <laughs> I land back in Fort Lauderdale, get on the next airplane and fly back to Seattle. Good I Lord. flew overnight, a red eye. I landed. The customer greeted me at the airport and they were one of my first customers at Firefly wow. Design Group. And I think, by the way, all of that, and I think it was for $3,000. <laughs> it was, you know, but it was, it was, it was real and it was That's money. Right. And it, right. it was, you know. I had a customer and again in 2008, my first year I was at a trade show and I had someone express, this was in September, 2008 expressed interest in the services we were offering. And, but he said, there's a catch. He said, I'm, I'm located in uh, Dubai. 
I said, so what's the catch? He said, but you know, we're all the way over there and you're here. I was like, no problem. When do you want to meet? My son, uh, my son's baby shower was that same week. Or it was like the week after uh-huh. for my, my wife was pregnant and I flew to Dubai 24 hours to have a one hour meeting. And I jumped, i jumped on the next flight out 24 hours home. Wow. So that I could secure that customer. So it's having that mindset yeah. that within legal bounds, I would do whatever it would take mm-hmm. to win the business only because failure wasn't an option. That's right. Man, Just that do is- do whatever it takes. Oh, those are the glory stories. That's so cool, man. I love that. Um, you know, the other thing you mentioned that I think is, is so profound and you're dead on is that idea of community that knows you well, being able to- sometimes help you get a more accurate picture of yourself, right? Like if you, if, if you're ever to draw yourself, you're going to draw yourself like a caricature, you know, exaggerations going both ways, exaggerating your weaknesses and also exaggerating your strengths sometimes. Right. But if you get someone outside of you, they can draw a little bit better portrait of you. And I did that similar to you, man. I look back at when I, I changed career paths, took a big, basically personal loan and just went for it. And holy crap, I look back and realize I had no plan. I had I thought I had a plan. I had no real smart plan. And about six months in, as I'm about to hit the, the financial pavement, I finally started inviting people I knew knew me really well in on the conversation. And I'll never forget, they. I just noticed a commonality. that One in particular said, there's two things you're better than most at, and you need to double down on those things. And I was like, okay, what are those? And he said, communication and coaching. Yep. And I was like, all right. And then I started hearing a version of that from everyone I was talking to. And I said, okay, then that's going to be out of the five things I'm doing. Like I'm going to build a business out of my ability to communicate and coach people. And I finally started getting traction because it was like, that's the actual skill I have that is maybe an advantage over the, the average person. Well, let's take that and let's bet on it and let's find the business model for it. Let's find who that serves and, it was like, oh, now we have a plan, right? And that plan is actually betting on me and the skills and the background experience I have versus a random idea or, hey, you could technically make money doing this. Um, but I, I, I cringe and laugh looking back at the first six months. Like, what the hell did I expect? When you like, operate within what you're best at and what you most enjoy, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like work. That's right. And I cannot say I always felt like that over the 14 years here at One Firefly. I can absolutely tell you the last five years have been in alignment with what I'm best at. Come on. And, you know, I I was going to get there earlier and I lost my train of thought. But one of the early companies, actually a friend that uh, business that gave me, I think, $5,000 in my, you know, friends and family round. um, They came back to me years later. And we were just, uh, I ran into them at a conference and we were catching up and they said, uh, and I told, this was post 2015. So we had fully pivoted into marketing and, you know, starting to get a bit of noise about us in the industry. And he said, Ron, can I be completely honest? I said, please. He goes, if we knew you were launching an engineering company in 2007, we would not have given you the money. We thought that was a marketing company. (laughs) We thought it was this. We thought it was this. 
And I'm like, well, you could have told me that then. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I would have listened again. I think I was too stubborn. Um, but you know, there's a lot to be said for being humble and open to critique. I know that with my leadership team, you know, we have a, a regular. We're we're in what's called EOS traction. Yes. And so I, I wondered if that's what you were referring to with unique ability being what you do best and what you enjoy most, right? Yeah, I'm I'm fully bought in hook, line, and sinker into yeah. the the EOS my, methodology. My business partner and I are both uh, EOS implementers as well. You are okay. Yeah. 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 So we're I'm I'm all, anyone listening. If you don't know what that is, and if you if you have a business of ten or more people, you know, give Drew a call. You should Let's look go. into you should look into EOS. It's if you're ready for it, it's uh it's it's the method to take you to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And um for us it is um the method and there's there's different tools in the toolkit at EOS around really helping each other and in this case my leadership team understand each other's strengths and weaknesses so that we can identify that and address them front on. Yeah. And it, because if you're vulnerable in that way uh it ultimately helps you, you know, uncover your blind spots. And yeah. it's help. It's what ultimately you need to to accelerate. Well, it helps you also delegate and elevate your unique ability, which means you are doing what you experience now, which is it feels less like work, feels more like my highest contribution and most fun. And so it's like, man, if we can just get through the uncomfortable part of the beginning, in a sense, you start getting set free, right? Yeah, I go, I go back to 2013. I said that I hired Taylor in an operations management role. The comedy is prior to, and I started that process in April of 2013. It's funny how these dates just are imprinted on my brain. Um, Because I remember the pain and suffering that led up to it. Mm. And I remember that I was struggling to scale at the time my engineering business. And I, uh, I had tried and failed on multiple occasions to hire salespeople. And I kept failing and I had a breakthrough and I had it. There's a, a, a an environment out there called EO and I was an EO accelerator, which mm-hmm. is for businesses that are between 250 K and a million dollars in revenue. I was in the South Florida chapter and I was in one of my forums and I just had a breakthrough and the breakthrough was Ron, why are you trying to hire sales and marketing when you're the best sales and marketing person, you know, yeah. And if you just actually did that and had someone better running the operations and finance of the company, you probably could take off. And it didn't happen immediately because I had to go through the discovery process of finding that person. And it took us a few years to get our feet under us. But then after we got our feet under us, um, you know, we we feel more and more like a well-oiled machine uh, in terms of to our the best of our ability, I now have a 52-person staff having wow. each and every member of our team operating within their core areas of strength. You know, so yeah. I, have, I have a marketing company and we have writers on our staff. If you were to ask me to sit down and write content all day, I would want to, it would not, I was going to do something, I'd want to put a bullet in my brain. It would not be good. Like I would yeah. not want to do that. But I, I hire writers that are journalism graduates and yeah. communications graduates and English majors. And when they have free time, they're writing poetry or they're writing their novel. They enjoy writing. That's right. It's their passion. It doesn't yep. feel like work. 
right? And you could just take that example throughout the organization. When you have people that have that superpower and you, you, they know it and you know it, and then you plug them into the position on the team, things just get easier. I'm not going to say they're perfect. There's still a lot of work to do, For but sure. things are just easier. There's less friction. Yeah. And when you find it, you know it. Like often yes. you don't know it at first and you're like, all right, we thought that was going to work and it didn't. And, but it's, it's like, it's like when um, like a disc goes back in place or if your shoulder's at a socket and it goes back in place, you're like, whoa, they're moving so much freer and the results are coming easier and there's less friction between us and them. Like, man, when you get someone in the right seat, you, you really feel it from them and for you, don't you? It's, it's magic. So whether it's your legal counsel or your CPA or your bookkeeping or your marketing or your sales, whatever that is, when you yep. plug the right people into your organization, whether they're on your staff or they're your partners, right? So like yeah. my CPA, he's not on my staff, he's my CPA. Yeah. But when you get that right partner, it just, it clicks and you know that that piece of weight has been offloaded. Yeah. Then that's where delegation and accountability comes in. When clear accountability is in place and what you are responsible for is clear and what the other party is responsible for is clear. And that's, again, another piece of advice, perhaps for those listening, because I didn't always do this. So I can mm -hmm. now say something I learned along the way is, you know, having job descriptions and having accountability scorecards defined yeah. at the point of hiring. Bonus programs are based on accountability scorecards. Quarterly reviews happen around scorecards. Yeah. There's no person at one Firefly that does not know what's expected of them every day, every week, every month. No one. Wow. And yet how often on your teams or people that you know that are business operators and if there's some stress or turmoil with staff, do they know what was clearly expected of them? Thus what they are or are not doing effectively yeah everyone's guessing everyone's guessing I, i'm in a a, a mastermind I, I i won't um mention any names but there's an individual he's got uh, stuff going on with one of his staff and he's talking about a level of frustration with that staff member and he, it's a mastermind so we're helping each other problem solve and he looks at me and he goes ron i already know what you're going to say and i'm like so have you done it and that is, do you actually have your job description and accountability scorecard defined for this person? Thus, you they know whether they are or not, are not performing. Yeah. He's like, no. I was like, so how can you tell me this person isn't performing when you haven't been fair to that person? This is your fault. Yeah. So you're trying to come here and have us talk about this other person. The accountability sits at the top of the organization. Yep. They follow your lead. And so as I've deployed and implemented these strategies, <clears throat> you know, we at One Firefly, we have a high attention to culture. Our, our team generally loves working at One Firefly. And well, how do you know that? Like that's a subjective statement. So in business, there's something called an NPS score. Yeah. Right. So this an NPS score is, are your customers likely to refer you net promoter score? Yep. You can also uh, measure what's called an ENPS score. The likelihood of your employees to refer other friends or family to work at your company. Mm. And so an NPS or an ENPS is a 100 to minus 100 scale. There's a 200 point swing. Yep. 
And anything above 30 for an ENPS is considered incredibly successful. Our ENPS score in Q4 2020 was 89. Whoa. It was, it was very high. And this is blind anonymous surveying of our team. It's not that we don't have very high expectations of everyone at One Firefly, because we do. Mm. But when you hire top performers, they want to know what is expected of them. And they yeah. always want to know how they are measuring up against that level of performance. They want to know if they're winning or not. They want to know if they're winning or not. Yeah. And if they win, I want to reward them. Yeah. So everyone at One Firefly has salaries and bonuses. Yeah. I don't care your position. Every level at One Firefly, salaries and bonuses. So good. I mean, man, when we don't do that, it's like asking people to play a game that they get in trouble for when they're not winning, but you haven't told them what a goal is. You haven't yeah. told them what the rules are, and there's no scoreboard. But you're going to be fired if you don't do the right things. So it's like, well, hold on. What's the score? I don't know. We don't really keep score. Well, what's the rules? I don't know. <laughs> you kind of stay over that area. And it's like, well, what game are we playing, right? But the moment... You give some boundaries, you give some rules, you say, here's the thing that we're measuring that matters. Here's the scoreboard. When the people start getting competitive and fun and they start knowing when they're not doing well and how to improve it, I mean, oh man. And they start we, helping each other out. Hey, you look like yeah. you need some help. Can I jump in and help you? I'll give you an example. Right now uh, in uh, uh, Texas, obviously our, our, you know, the whole country are, is watching what's going on in Texas, a lot of people suffering. And I, I've got a bunch of staff down in Austin and in Dallas. And, you know, across the company, different types of roles are, are, are there in Texas. And there was a, a, just a, a comment within our company Slack um, from one of our, our staff members uh, in Texas, in Austin, actually. And um, I'm actually going to read it to you, if you allow me. Please. I, I'm, I'm going to give Cameron props. So Cameron just posted this in our Slack this morning at 11 a.m., he said, I'd like to give a big shout out to every single one of you talking to the whole company for finding a way. Finding a way is one of our core values. Cool. He says, this week has been anything but ordinary, but I've observed every member of this incredible team stepping in to help your peers any way you can. From those of us affected by the storms, using their available time to work on their assignments to those unaffected, taking on additional work to help your colleagues the leadership team reaching out to check in and give those affected space to prioritize our safety. I feel so incredibly blessed to be a member of this team of outstanding individuals. You have all embodied our core values this week. I've never been on such a supportive team in my entire career. Thank you all for everything you do. If I can give you all a motivosity buck or 12, I would. Motivosity bucks are our way for acknowledging each other for our core values. Cool. Man, that is unbelievable. I love that. I also love that your people are, that you've integrated your, your company values enough that they are knowing to spot and celebrate when they're being embodied and when they're, you know, taking action and, and being lived out, right? I mean, that is, that is next level if you've got a culture that is actually embodying the values. So that was part of you know, if you go back to 2015 through 2019, we had grown nicely year over year, but I started to feel, you know, as you start to scale people and revenue, 
and you start to look forward, there's an adage that what got you here isn't going to get you there. Yeah. And I started to feel that although we were doing well, there were some cracks in the, the foundation. And I needed more structure to help us, you know, double again or triple or quadruple the company. And I needed different tools, tools that I didn't know that I didn't know. Yeah. But yeah. I knew enough to know there probably was something out there. And that's when we discovered EOS and traction. And we we hired a local implementer. And a part of that whole process is was a rediscovery of our our vision for my vision for the company. And I love the EOS formula with it's it's not just some BS gobbledygook words like yeah. you see on so many corporate websites with a bunch of words that no one actually knows or practices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But within EOS, it's an eight-point system for definition of vision. And one of those eight points is your core values. And yep. our implementer took us through a fresh process. This happened in the fall of 2019 to help us really establish today, the company we are today, what are our core values? Not what do we aspire to be? Right. Right. So that's also a mistake a lot of companies make. They put all these lofty aspirational core values that that's don't right. represent who they are, yep. but they represent this fantasy version of themselves. Yep. And so we defined our core values and we we wrote them down there, own it, find a way, grow together, bring good vibes, and speak up. They're very simple. Yeah. And we designed a training curriculum around them. So my leadership team and I coordinated and we produced an hour long training for each of our core values. Cool. With example testimonials and demonstrations from our team, how they, they, they practice those core values. We implemented a, a piece of software called Motivosity. Mm. It's a beautiful cloud-based tool, plugs right into Slack. And we created a core value kudos channel. So we give each other shout outs all day long. The core value kudos channel in Slack is just popping and ringing. <laughs> People are loving on each other and acknowledging ways they've demonstrated the core values. Come on. Uh, when Firefly funds it with a whopping $3 a month per employee, they can give out their $3, um, you know, a dollar per shout out. Yeah. Many of them far exceed their quota of three and they, they start giving out free core value kudos. And it's just, it's building a culture of like-mindedness and, you know, our people at One Firefly, when you focus on your people, they take care of everything else. Mm. I know that now. Mm. I didn't always know that, but I've, I've learned it and I've practiced it. And today, I mean, I, I love on our people and they love on each other more than at any company I've witnessed. And as a result, the business is doing really well. I mean, we're strong, we're vibrant, despite competition, despite COVID, we brush that off. Wow. We're focused, eyes on the prize, and we're growing. And we will face challenges. I know we will. But like we're that wrestler staring across the mat. Bring it on. Let's like, go. We're, let's go. Yeah. Because we, we know that we can figure it out. We can figure it out together. So good, man. I, I'm inspired. Uh, obviously, we we see things very similarly and even speak the same language. So I'm pumped to see how well that has actually materialized into value for your company. So, so cool. We run ours. Not, not only do we implement with others, we run our own business on it, right? So I'm obviously 
bought in on that. We, we, we can't sing those praises high enough. Uh, man, so cool. I want to go ahead and get into the lightning round to wrap up this wonderful conversation. So five quick questions for you. First thing that comes to mind. Number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? I think that growth is key. Personal growth, professional growth. Uh, we're a growth-minded company. Yeah. Um, such that I, we aspire to have people on our team, and I would challenge that we've succeeded. That desire to do better for themselves and those around them every day. Mm. Mm. And as we've, as we've grown that team with that focus. Um, you know, business has, has done nothing but continue to accelerate and, and trend in a positive direction. And we really look forward and the, the future is unlimited. It's infinite. Love it. It can grow in any direction at any rate. It's just a matter of where we point the ship. Love it. Okay. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing a business and what is the worst? Well, the single best advice is learn your numbers. I would yeah. say that it's it's the the biggest mistake so many business owners make, and that is whether they're the technician from the E-Myth philosophy from Michael yeah. Gerber, or they are the rock star sales and marketing person from you know whatever industry they're from, is that it, you have to grow financially financially responsibly. Mm. You have to know the the product you're selling or the service you're selling, what your cost basis are, what your margins are, what your target net levels of profitability are. You just have to know that. And if you don't know that, and many listening may say, well, that's my area of weakness. I know that's okay. Mm. But you need to surround yourself then with the ability to have that capability on your team. Yeah. Because if, if you're missing it, you're going to suffer and you're going to take a lot longer and the road's going to be a lot harder than it needs to be. Beautiful. What about the worst? The worst advice? Uh, worst it could be personal. Someone gave it to you or it could just be stuff you hear floating around all the time. Do you think what? I don't see it that way. You know what? I, so I'll make it specific to my industry. Um, so many of my customers are referral based businesses. Mm -hmm. So they want to tell me and my team that marketing doesn't matter. And I think that if anyone tells you that marketing doesn't matter, walk away. They do not know what they're talking about. Because they're not good at it. <laughs> that, well, marketing is the oxygen for your business. Yeah. You have, you have to fund your business. You have to invest in your business. And there's a one-to-one -one correlation uh, in terms of the ways that you invest in your marketing and the the ultimate places you're able to take your business and the speed at which you're able to grow. So for, I mean, and many of my customers or, or people that when they met me, they'll tell me they had a marketing budget of zero. One of the things they learn right away is whether they use me or not, it really doesn't matter. They need to build out their P&L for the future with a line item in cost called marketing. Yeah. And they need to budget for it and it should be correlated to their target revenue. And then when you'd have the bucket of money called marketing funds, now you get to decide, well, what's the best place to deploy those marketing funds? Yeah. But it's not, should I have marketing funds? So good. Number three, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? You know, I, 
I, like any human being, run through bits of anxiety and fear, uncertainty and doubt around, am I a good enough leader? Sure. Am I leading my people effectively? Am I being aggressive enough in the marketplace? Am I being too calm in the marketplace? <laughs> am I taking my competitors seriously enough? Am I not taking them serious enough? And so what I've learned, I've just say is, as I've built out an amazing team and I've delegated and elevated, you said those words a bit ago. Yep. And as I've entrusted them by bringing on talented people and coaching and training them and then getting out of their way. And that isn't a problem so many of us entrepreneurs, especially founders have, that so many aspects of our business, we think we're the best at it. And the reality is, even if you are the best at it, you still have to get out of the way if you want to scale your business. Yeah. And you know, I'm reading your question. If you could go back to the past and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Um, was that the question you were asking me or did I jump ahead? You jumped ahead two questions ahead. I jumped ahead two Look questions ahead. Oh, damn it. I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Screwing right. it up here. No, I said, what, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? I've never felt more calm than I am right now. Yeah. And I'm not less hungry. I'm just more comfortable with the path that we're on and the meeting structures and the definition of vision that we have today and, and our ability to get buy-in from every level of the organization around that vision. I guess if I have one worry is, am I being a good enough leader, an effective enough leader? Sure. You know, there's a wonderful book called Multipliers. Mm-hmm. And the philosophy in that book is that if you take an organization and actually empower all of the people within your organization to, to operate within 100% of their abilities, that you're able to multiply the ability of your business mm. um, to pr produce and succeed. And often we as entrepreneurs are diminishers, founders, we're diminishers, we're in, in the weeds and so there's so many ways to mess up. And by the yeah. way, reading that book, you, you're going to read it. I know I did. I'm going to go, yep, guilty, guilty, yeah, guilty, yeah. guilty. Um, so it's really about, you know, am I an effective enough leader to help us achieve what I know is, is possible? Yeah, I love it. I love the honesty too. Thank you for that. Uh, number four, what's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? You know, for us, we've designed that around revenue targets. So, you know, you can choose, uh, some can choose to grow, for example, you know, in like the VC capital sort of model, think mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, put a plan together, go get outside money and scale. I have no interest in that. Mm. And so I also want to let people listening know that it's okay to not want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I bet you I have a better quality of life than a lot of the people that are running in business models like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a smaller business than maybe some of those people in their desired planned exits, but I own enough of the equity in my company to where, you know, my overall income has me set up nicely now and nicely for retirement. So that's okay. 
Yeah. So my BHAG is really around revenue targets, you know, three and five years out. Cool. So if I look at where we want to be over three years, we'd like to double the size of the business again. Cool. That's awesome. I'm right there with you, man. I've bought in on on this way of doing the business. I don't want, if at all possible, and I I think in the kind of business I'm in and you're in, you don't really need that outside investment. Um, And you just invite in all sorts of headaches and voices and all sorts of stuff that uh, can complicate it for sure. I've had offers to buy my business or invest in my business probably every six months for the last five years. Wow. And I have not seriously entertained any of them. Yeah. And the reality is if you seek that outside money, whether it's for equity, uh, I mean, there's a whole other concept of of exiting at some point, but in terms of gaining a, a partner, um, selling some equity and now having to account to that other party. Um, that's right for some. And there certainly are use cases and business models yeah, where that exactly. applies. It's just, I've chosen, I've chosen the path of organic growth. Mm-hmm. And so we take profits, we reinvest that back into the company and just slow and steady wins the race. Love and that. I, it's just, it matches my personality. I like to think through things and really work diligently through and, and a lot of brainstorming and a lot of, you know, modeling with my staff. Um, and that slow and steady wins the race model has worked very effectively for us. Love it. Well, man, thank you so much for being on here today. Uh, this has been so fun. I, again, your business IQ is through the roof. So fun to hear even just the real story of the dummy tax that you've had to pay on some stuff and uh, <laughs> the way you've bought these lessons. Uh, I know my business IQ has increased as well as just my own uh, encouragement about the business that we're building. And I'm sure so many people listening are building. So thank you for putting in the hard work for loving your team so well and uh, not giving up, man, when things were tough. And um, mostly thank you for being here on this podcast with us. No, it's my pleasure. If I was to leave one piece of advice for your listeners, it's just, if you can help it, don't give up. Yeah. You know, if you ever seen that cartoon where that, that uh, person is digging towards, there's two guys tunneling underground and one is like one stroke away from hitting the diamond mine, but he's walking the other direction. And the other one is halfway there, but he's still heading in the direction of the diamond mine. Yeah. You know, if you can simply last That's right. and be willing to cancel the bad ideas, cancel even things you might love that are bad ideas and just uh, and push forward. That's You'll where a out. lot of the the toughness and stubbornness in the entrepreneur and founder shine. And ultimately, you get to, to have the, the payday or the happiness resulting from that. So good. Well, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that advice myself. And I hope the audience does as well. Uh, Ron, thank you so much, buddy. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Drew. Yeah, be good. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.